Well, take your Bibles and turn to Habakkuk 1. Habakkuk chapter 1. Again, it's five books from the end of the Old Testament after Nahum. You probably still need some help in finding that. We've been looking at a prophet perplexed over God's plan. And I've entitled today's message, I Don't Understand, Lord. (laughs) And you'll see why as we work our way through Habakkuk 1. I would imagine that there are many of you who have memberships at the Croc Center here in Green Bay or at the YMCA. Maybe another similar facility. And why is that? Well, it's for your health. That's why. You go there, you exercise to strengthen your muscles, to keep your weight in check, to keep your blood pressure and cholesterol numbers down. And there are a number of other things that we are looking at with regards to our health. Well, just as our physical muscles and body need exercise, so does our spiritual muscles to strengthen and grow our faith in the Lord. And this is exactly what is happening to Habakkuk here in this book as he continues to wrestle with questions and doubts in his mind. It's a journey of growing in faith, which I believe all of us are on. Amen? That's right. And so I want you to follow with me as I read verse 12 through chapter 2 in verse 1. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. And you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net. Because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. And may God add his blessing to the reading of that portion of Scripture. Here the dialogue between Habakkuk and God continues, just as I mentioned last week. In the first section, that would be verses 1 to 11, the prophet had complained about the sin of Judah and God's silence in it all. Why didn't he bring his judgment upon them? You have called me, God, to pronounce judgment, and it hasn't happened as of yet. Well, God replied that he was actively working out a plan 
to deal with the sin problem. It just wouldn't be in the way that Habakkuk expected. It says there in verse 5, Look among the nations. Observe. This is God's response to Habakkuk. You're focused on Judah right now. But look out internationally. There's someone who is raising up that you need to be aware of. And he goes on in verse 6 to say, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. He was raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to bring judgment. Wow. I mean, for you and I, as we think about that, that's no big deal. But for them, it was. It was huge. And so the prophet responded again. Here in verses 12 and following, only this time, he's even more bewildered by the situation. The, pre- the, the, the main premise of this whole section is captured by the question there in verse 13. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? You see that last phrase there? Those more righteous than they? Righteous here is relatively speaking. Habakkuk is saying that Judah is not as bad as their enemy because there is a righteous remnant among them. But the wickedness is greater. And therefore the righteous will suffer along with the rest. Again, Habakkuk comes back to the whole matter there again in verse 17. Will they, that is the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? That wicked, wicked nation? The problem here is not God's right to judge. That's what the prophet was expecting. No, it was God's method of justice. How could a holy God use a wicked nation to punish his people? This is what he's bewildered about. He doesn't understand. That just doesn't seem to be fair. (laughs) Now to emphasize this, Habakkuk went on in verses 14 to 16 to compare the people of the nations, and that would include Judah as well, to fish. And sea creatures and the Babylonians to fishermen. Look what he goes on to say. Why have you made men, and actually that's a statement in the Hebrew, you have made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them. The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with their net and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net. Because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. How many of you have ever watched Wicked Tuna? Okay, there are some of you who have. I think it's on one of the history channels. But uh, I watch that every so often. It's uh, Fishing for Tuna off the East Coast. 
And you have these men going out there in the ocean. And as they are trolling around, they're throwing all the smelt out there into the ocean. And they're doing this for hours. And then all of a sudden, with their fish finders, they start seeing the fish, and it just starts to blink. And then all of a sudden, one of these tunas hits the fishing line. And for the next maybe one or two hours, they are battling to bring in this tuna fish. And then all of a sudden, they bring it onto the boat. And all the guys that have been working to bring this fish in are just excited. They're high-fying one another. Why? Because it's money. This fish is about 10 to 12 feet long. And just in that one fish alone, they can make up to $20,000. It's something else to watch. Also, I don't know if you've ever watched on that same channel, some who are fishing for shrimp or crab. And they're picking up their nets as they go along, even in these storms. And they pull up this net and they've got all this shrimp or all this crab and it just drops right into their big container. And again, these guys are going around. They're just all excited about their catch because it's money. It's money in the bank. They are really excited. That is sort of what you see here in this passage of Scripture. You see, at that time, the nations like fish were helpless. They were weak and without a great leader to guide them. And the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, were like fishermen. They had all the tools to catch, destroy, and to profit from these fish. More than this, as you see there in verse 16, they rejoiced and were glad, such that they worshipped the means that brought them their success and prosperity. Verse 16, Therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net, because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. With their instruments of strength, they are capturing all of these nations. He's speaking there about their weapons of warfare. And it goes back to what it says there in verse 11. When God said of the Chaldeans, they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. And see, so you see it illustrated there in verses 14 to 16. They were not only a people of great iniquity, but also of severe injustice and idolatry. You and I can't even imagine it. And so, yes, for God to use a wicked nation to deal with his people didn't seem to be fair. Not at all. It didn't make sense. But let me remind you of something from this passage that I noted, noticed last week. The same word that Habakkuk is using of Judah, the word violence there in verse 2, and in verse 3, God uses that same word with regards to the Chaldeans, with regards to the Babylonians, there in verse 9. And then again in chapter 2 and verse 8. And then again 
twice in chapter 2 in verse 17. The nation of Judah deserved God's judgment. Habakkuk wasn't arguing that. But they deserved to have it done the way God wanted. And that's what Habakkuk was struggling with here in his mind. It's a journey of faith for him as he works through this. He just doesn't understand. How often have you have observed something that didn't seem right and said, that's just not fair? I would say that a lot of us have either said it or thought it (laughs) at some time or another. I mean, think about the social injustice that we observed over the last year. And I'm not just talking about policemen with some black people. How about the riots that came about as a result of all that? Where businesses were destroyed. Stealing and looting. Innocent people were harmed. That's social injustice as well. You may have even asked, why would God allow this to go on? And so how do you work through this in your mind and heart? That's the big question. How should you work through that in your mind and heart? Well, I want you to consider with me two guiding principles. Two guiding principles exemplified by Habakkuk that I trust will bring you peace in trying times of what's not fair. (laughs) Two principles, just like last week. And the first is captured there in verses 12 and 13. Again, notice what it says. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. We'll stop right there. What do you notice? What's the principle there? It's simply this. Worship God. Worship God. That is, reflect upon the character of God. This is how Habakkuk started out after hearing God's astounding message. Though he was bewildered, what does he do? He reflects on the character of God. That's how he starts out here. He quickly reminded himself of his God in contrast to the God of the Chaldeans there in verse 11. They whose strength is their God. What does he first mention here as he's reflecting upon the character of God? He refers there to the eternality of his Lord God Through a rhetorical question. In other words, a question that has an obvious answer. It's meant for emphasis there. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? What's the obvious answer? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
God is set apart from all other gods. He's eternal. Habakkuk here was saying, you are from of old, eternity past, and you continue on to eternity future. You are the great I am. (laughs) Exodus 3 and verse 14. You know the end from the beginning. And so the one true God sees what man does not see. And that is the big picture of life. He's never caught off by surprise at all. In fact, I love what it says in Psalm 90 and verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I mean, as I think about that, my heart just is lifted up in praise and adoration to God and saying, Amen and Amen to that. And praise God for that. This is what he first reflects upon here. This was so important to Asaph. As we saw in our scripture reading today there in Psalm 73, verses 16 to 19, he had a problem. And the problem one is as he observed the world, they seemed to have it so good, so prosperous. And yet the righteous were suffering. He's scratching his head. I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. And then when you come to the middle of that psalm, what does it say? Until I went into the sanctuary of God and I perceived their end. How is he able to perceive their end? Because God is eternal. He sees the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning, and it's recorded in his word. They will be judged. And that is what brought peace and comfort To Asaph's heart. Well, out of this, the prophet highlighted something else about God, and that is his sovereignty. Look what it says in the rest of verse 12. We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Yes, as God said in verses 5 and 6, He was raising the Chaldeans to judge. But it would be to punish, to correct, and hopefully bring about repentance. Not to totally destroy the Jewish nation. In fact, turn with me, if you would, holding your space here to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who is a contemporary of Habakkuk, speaks to this very thing. Jeremiah, chapter 31. Verses 35 to 37. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon, and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is His name. If this fixed order departs 
from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that he has done, declares the Lord. He was saying here that Israel will not be destroyed. And it's affirmed by the character of God. He indeed is sovereign. Habakkuk was confident of this because of the covenants that had been established with Israel. The Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, also even the new covenant by this time. As I think about the Abrahamic covenant, what did God say to Abraham? In your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Who's that seed? The Lord Jesus Christ, who is of the tribe of Judah. Yeah. So it's no wonder in that moment he saw God as his rock. His refuge. I'm reminded of Psalm 18, 1 and 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. (laughs) Amen and amen. And so you have Habakkuk here thinking about the eternality of God, the sovereignty of God. It doesn't stop further. He emphasizes here the holiness of God. He goes on in verse 13 to say, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil or to look upon evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. In Psalm 5 and verse 4 it says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. This brings confidence that wickedness cannot go on forever. That indeed God will address it just as he promised to do with Judah through the Chaldeans and also with the Chaldeans because it says there in verse 11, but they, speaking of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they will be held guilty Those whose strength is their God. Wickedness cannot go on forever. God will deal with it. We'll see that even more fully in chapter 2 with regards to the Babylonians. But for Habakkuk, his expectation was now. (laughs) God's patience had gone on too long. More than that, Why would he use a wicked nation to punish his people? Well, God determines that, right? Yeah. You heard it quoted from our worship team today. I mentioned it last week. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts above our thoughts. Though we may not understand, God always does what is right. So though the prophet did not understand the ways of his God at that time, at that moment, he did know who God was and is and thus had a purpose 
in all that he did. His first reaction was to think about God. I so appreciate James Boyce, who speaks to this whole matter for us in the present. I want you to listen to this. He says, suppose you lose your job because a person who has it in for you misrepresents something you have done. Why did God allow this very bad person to succeed? Suppose you are sick and a doctor misdiagnoses your case so that you get worse. Why has this happened? Suppose you experience some great disappointment, the death of a child or spouse, the breakup of a marriage or an engagement, a failure to get into the right graduate school or residency. You see, he's just mentioning a few situations that could happen. He says, of course you're not perfect, but why should someone who is not even a Christian have it good while you lose out? Again, it goes back to Asaph again, doesn't it? When we face problems like this, he goes on to say, it is important that we follow a proper procedure in dealing with them. When things go wrong, some people tend to withdraw. They drop out of the Christian activities, stop going to church, pull back in their spiritual corner and pout. And beloved, I've been here for approximately 17 years, and I've seen this go on and on and on many times. And when I get the first chance, usually when I sit down with this person, I ask the question, what are you thinking about God? What are your expectations of Him? And the reason their expectations are wrong is because they're thinking wrongly about God. There are things that they haven't realized. And they want them dearly. Actually, they're worshiping those things. And so they withdraw in their Christian walk. Of course, I as a pastor want to help them out of that. Because I want them to see God as He truly is from His Word. He goes on to say, Others repudiate their past. They conclude that they must have been wrong about God and renounce all belief in Him. I've seen that too, unfortunately. Where the Christian life isn't what they all expected. And so they're like one of those soils that are mentioned by Jesus. They seem to embrace God, but then they discard Him later on. And they go their own way. That's unfortunate. Both are wrong ways to deal with such problems. And so Boyce goes on to say this. How should we deal with them? He says, Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests four steps in his classic study of Habakkuk. I'm going to just give you the first three. Stop to think. Number two, restate basic principles. And number three... Apply the principles to the problem. Beloved, that is what is going on here in verses 12 and 13. Habakkuk is stopping to think. 
He's restating truths about God from his word. And then he's applying them. As difficult as it is. And so, beloved, let us do the same in complex times of what doesn't seem right or fair. It's what we know about God, reflecting upon that and worshiping Him that begins to bring comfort and peace to the heart. It truly does. When I become self-centered, and I do, thinking through issues... And often I'm not thinking correctly about God in a particular moment. But then by His grace, I'm reminded of what the Word says concerning my God. And it brings comfort and peace to my heart in troublesome times, in times when I don't understand, when things seem to be unfair. And so, beloved, the first principle I think we need to embrace here Because it's the very principle that guided Habakkuk is to worship God. Reflect upon the character of God. Well, this flows right into the second principle that is observed there in chapter 2, verse 1. What does it say? I will stand on my guard post. And station myself on the rampart. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. And how I may reply when I am reproved. So what do you see here? What's another principle? It's simple. Wait upon God. Wait upon God. That is rest in the faithfulness of God. That's so often hard to do, isn't it? To just wait upon the Lord? (laughs) It is. You see, after reflecting on the character of God and sharing questions and doubts with God regarding the issue of the Babylonians as instruments of justice, what does Habakkuk do here? He resigns himself He resigns the problem with God. He leaves the matter with Him and waits for His response. And really, this is captured by the prophets mentioned there of the guard post. And positioning Himself on the rampart, as it says there in verse 1. What was He referring to there? Likely... The tower to the city walls where guards would carefully watch for the first signs of danger so that they might warn the community. Now I have to admit here that I'm not certain whether he literally went to the tower. It may be that he was speaking figuratively of God here. I mean, God's word says in Proverbs 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. I say all of that because clearly what he's conveying here 
in verse 1 is his expectant attitude to God. Positioning himself to wait patiently upon God's reply, even if it was a rebuke for thinking wrongly. He was waiting patiently upon God to do what was right, even if he didn't understand. Why? Because God is faithful. Amen? He is. I mean, we said last week, I highlighted that verse from Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, that great hymn, great is thy faithfulness. We sing that, but do we believe it in our hearts? Such that we are willing to wait upon God no matter what. So, beloved, you are to do the same with God. There are so many things you see in life and face in trials that you and I don't understand. For example, what happened this past week in the House of Representatives? The Equality Act was passed, wasn't it? Now it's going to the Senate. And we don't know what's going to happen after that. And you might be saying in your mind, God, you're the one who raised up the government that we have. It's a government that seems to be against all that we believe. I don't understand this. That just doesn't seem fair. Well, rather than being anxious in these moments, God wants us to wait patiently, expectantly upon Him. Committing the matter to him. How do you do that? That's a good question. How do you wait upon God? Because so many times we think of waiting as what? Doing nothing. (laughs) Just sitting back and going, oh God, okay. No. There's activity to waiting upon God. What's one way? Through prayer, right? Through prayer. Saying always, not my will but thine be done. Can you say that? Are you willing to say that from your heart? I mean, Jesus did, right? Yeah. Because you know that he will faithfully do what is right, what is best. That's why we pray that. We can be praying for our government leaders. We should be praying for our government leaders. 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4, right? God can change the heart. The Bible tells us that in Proverbs 16. As rivers of water, he turns the heart of man however he desires. But it's always according to his will. We pray for the salvation of those in leadership. So as we wait, let's commit the matter to the Lord. Pray to Him. Not my will, but thine be done. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this. This is the confidence which we have before Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. So it's through prayer. Here's another way. By being in God's Word. By being in God's Word. 
Trusting in His Spirit to help remind you of truth or to see truth of which you were ignorant. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Do you believe that? I trust that you do. Because if you do, you will be in God's word. How often have you had questions in your mind? And you say, well, Lord, I can't answer that right now. I I don't know why. I'm going to leave it with you. And you begin to pray about it. Maybe at some point in time you, you forget. And then as you're studying God's Word one day, up from the page, the Spirit of God helps you to see something that might answer that question. Or you're reminded of truth that you had forgotten. I will tell you, for me personally, that happens on a week-by-week basis. There are things that I'm praying about that I've committed to the Lord. Questions that I have. Doubts that I might have. But I've committed to the Lord, and then it seems like, as I'm reading His Word, it just comes off the page. It may not necessarily change the situation, but it sure stills my heart as I think about God. How about finally this? Sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel. Why? Because it's the gospel that changes hearts. Amen? That's right. Romans six, uh, Romans 1 and verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. We share the gospel. It changes hearts. You know, I think about those in our state capitals, the men who are making decisions. Are you praying for them? They need to hear the gospel. Maybe some of you don't know this, but there is a Bible study leader, an evangelical Bible study leader in every capital of the United States. Did you know that? There is. It's called Capital Ministries. I know the man who oversees it, Ralph Ralph Drawlinger. (laughs) He's a graduate of the Master Seminary right along with me. He used to play basketball for John Wooden at UCLA. And now he's overseeing Capital Ministries. And there is an evangelical Bible study leader in every capital. He himself is in Washington, D.C., Every week they have a Bible study with all these political leaders sharing the truth of God's Word, sharing the Gospel. Let's be praying for these men that God will use that to change hearts. So as we wait upon God, we share the Gospel because we know that with change hearts, things change. So is this your practice? These are just a few things. Is this your practice? Or do you sit in a corner, so to speak, and pout? Because things are not going the way you want. I want you to look with me at Isaiah chapter 40. A very familiar text. This is a turning point in Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah 40. 
Here the prophet is reflecting upon the character of God. And he says these words beginning in verse 27 through the end of the chapter. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord or hope in the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And all God's people should say, Amen. Amen. May this be true of you. Again, this week we have two simple principles to guide us in these moments when we say, I don't understand, Lord, or that's just not fair, Lord. (laughs) Number one, worship Him. Reflect upon the character of God. And number two, Wait upon Him. Rest in the faithfulness of God. I was so encouraged this past week. My wife and I went over to visit some folks in the church. One of the things that they shared with me was that they decided to recently pull out that book, Trusting God. They've already read it through twice, but they decided, you know what? I want to read it through again just to reflect upon God, especially in these times. And I said to them, wow, that's exactly what I'm going to speak about on Sunday. (laughs) But God had already moved in their heart to do such a thing. You know, I know this isn't always easy, but it is the answer to our hearts. It was the answer for Habakkuk's heart to worship God, to reflect upon the character of God and to wait upon him. It sounds easy, but it's another thing to live by that truth. Do you remember the father in the Gospel of Mark that came to Jesus and asked him to heal his son? What did Jesus say to him? All things are possible to those who believe. And what did the man say? Lord, I believe what? Help mine unbelief. I think many of us are right there this morning. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Because we struggle just like Habakkuk does. I don't understand. That just doesn't seem to be fair. Well, know this. (laughs) Our spiritual muscles are being exercised right now. And it's these two principles that will carry you forward. Bank on it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. What a blessing it is to just be able to identify with Habakkuk here. I mean, what we read in this passage of Scripture is just so much for us today. 
as we look at the things going on around us, maybe many of us, if not all of us, are saying, boy, this isn't fair. This just doesn't seem to be right, God. What are you doing? I don't understand. Oh, how I pray that we would take these two principles, simple principles from your word, and apply them to our hearts. Oh, God, we believe. Help us with our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.